Good morning. This past week, uh, Chris Thomas and I had the wonderful opportunity to be in Charleston, South Carolina for the Soma Family of Churches annual retreat. For those of you that don't know, we're part of a family of churches that um, are called Soma. We align uh, missiologically uh, how we live out the church, some theological things. And these are dear brothers and sisters, friends, deep friends that are in ministry that are doing similar work to we are all across the country and the world. So it's a deep, rich time for us not only to be together, but to be encouraged and equipped in a lot of ways. Um, but during that time, on our way back to the airport, Chris and I probably had one of the most uh, exciting and unique times getting to the airport. Our flight was delayed. Uh, for those of you who don't know, in the South, they have these torrential downpours. Well, South Carolina does not have a great um, drainage system. So torrential downpour, our, our flight's a little bit delayed, and we are catching an Uber from our hotel to the airport. And the person that picks us up, nice young guy, he puts, picks us up, puts us in, and we start talking. Well, as we start going to the airport, we're starting to see these puddles on the freeway, on the, the streets. And by puddles, I mean like mini lakes. We drive through one of them and the water that's splashing over the wheels is going over the car. I can feel, imagine that we're up to the door in water. And we see people stalling out and the driver's like, oh, they just need to go faster. If they just went faster, it would be okay. Well, we're about to enter onto the freeway and we start going and we hit probably the biggest lake yet. And as we get out of it, all of a sudden we hear this, like, it almost sounds like the pistons of the engine are rubbing up against one another. And so here we are, we have to pull over. We're starting to run a little bit late and our Uber driver is now on the ground in puddles trying to figure out what's going on with this car. And so here Chris and I are like, uh, are we going to make our flight? What, what's, what's happening right now? And so thankfully, we realized that this plastic thing that was under the engine was uh, just broken. It was rubbing up against it. We put it back on there. But we had to go through another little lake just to get onto the freeway. And so we were just sitting there like, oh, God. Is this going to happen? Did this really just happen? And as you can tell, we made it back home. But the driver was distraught. It was a very, very unique thing. But afterwards, uh, Chris starts having a conversation with the driver. Starts asking about what's the church culture like down here? I mean, the amount of steeples that are in South Carolina, or in Charleston specifically, were mind-boggling as somebody from the Northwest. We don't have any in um, I went golfing with some friends and there was a clergy discount there. Let's just say in the Northwest, we probably have to pay more if they found out I was a minister. And so he starts just asking some really good questions. And one of the questions he asks is, what, when you hear the term the gospel, what do you think of? What is the gospel? I um, found out this, this young man was going to a church that he was trying to turn around his life around really, really good story. I was so encouraged to hear it. But that question about what is the gospel is really, really important. 
His response was, anybody that stands up to open up the Bible is, is the gospel. And so what I want to do is I want to ask you that same question. What is the gospel? We're going to pause for a minute, and I'm going to give you a chance to actually discuss that together. Now, I don't know how your answer to the question aligned with this young man, but the, the question is a really, really important question. And for us as a church family, I would say it's the most important question that we can continually remind one another of. Today, we're starting the, our annual We Are Soma series. This is a reminder for us of what is most important and how we choose to live as a church family here in Federal Way. And so what we want to begin with is the gospel. So we believe that the gospel is not just, as Tim Keller says, the ABCs of the Christian faith. It's the A to Z of it. It's not just what gets you into heaven. It is what sustains you, empowers you, equips you, reminds you that you need for not just the beginning part of your life as a disciple of Jesus, but every single aspect of your life as a disciple of Jesus. And it's one of those terms that not only do we use often, but can really be um, misdefined. It, it could be like, oh, when you say this, I think this. Or when you say this, I think this. And so what we want to do is this is the foundation by which everything we do is built on. If we don't get this foundation right, then everything else we do is going to be broken. So when we say, what is the gospel? This is our definition. And I want to highly encourage you. This is in our Soma Toolkit. You can see I'm looking at my Soma Discipleship Toolkit um, document here. I encourage you to remember this statement, to deeply get it in your heart. This is how we define the gospel. It's Jesus, God's promised rescuer and king, lovingly lived the life we should live, died the death we deserve, and rose again by the Spirit to redeem and restore all creation, including us. Let me say that again. Jesus, God's promised rescuer and king, lovingly lived the life we should live, died the death we deserve, and rose again by the Spirit to redeem and restore all creation, including us us. When we think of the gospel as an announcement, when it, it's a proclamation of something, it has power, but in its essence, gospel literally means good news. It's the, what is being said. In the context of the New Testament, this was a term that was um, societal or political at first. It was the euangelion, the good news, the gospel of Caesar. And so Jesus comes on, he says, I'm going to take that secular term and I'm going to make it 
and and reframe it so that it points to me. Christians throughout history have done that. Even the term church, much of what we now consider as religious language was first found in secular society. So, all that to say, when we think of the gospel, the good news proclaimed, it is ultimately about Jesus. That's why we start our definition with him. So, let me break this down just real briefly, and then I want to think about what this means for us as a church today. So, Jesus, God's promised rescuer and king. In your house-to-house gatherings, we had you read Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 34. This was uh, Peter's proclamation of the gospel to the household of Cornelius. And so when we think of Jesus, that he's God's promised rescuer and king, we see in verse 36 that Jesus Christ, verse uh, he is Lord of all. That the New Testament comes in and says that Jesus is king of a kingdom. He is Lord. That's a language that was used of Caesar and saying, no, 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 he is Lord. He is the one that rules and reigns over all of creation. And up to this point in the story of God, we see that there is in the movements, there is creation. God created everything as good. He is the only one that does what is good, right, and perfect. That we as image bearers are designed to bring him glory by being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and tending his garden well. Uh, In the fall, the second act of the story, they don't do that. They rebel against them. uh, Adam and Eve believe a lie rather than the truth. And so therefore, we now have this virus, this symbiote, that is part of humanity, that is um, that attaches to us, that draws us away from who we truly are. And so God promised from that beginning, the first promise of, of God about Jesus was in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. That this was the proclamation that he, there would be a rescuer. And we see throughout the story of God that there were kings, there were judges, they would come and set up God's kingdom in order. But there would be, through the line of David, one who ultimately is the king. And the gospel is that Jesus is that rescuer. He is the one that's going to rescue us from sin, but he's also the king of his new kingdom. And this king, secondly, lovingly lived the life we should live. He always did what is good, right, and perfect. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. We see that in John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus was sinless. He never sinned. He perfectly obeyed the Father. He showed us what life looks best, what it means to be perfectly human. And he did that out of love. While we were and then it leads to this third part: that he died the death we deserve. Romans 5:8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is a substitute that happens in his death. He takes our sins and he pays the penalty for them. He takes what we deserve and out of his love, he bears all the weight of the sins of the world on the cross. And it's you and I deserve it. It's, um, that's where we, we see in Romans that the wages of sin is death. But Jesus didn't just die. 
If Jesus just died and did not rise again, then everything we believe is rubbish. We are to be pitied, most pitied, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. But Jesus also physically, bodily, three days later, rose from the dead by the Spirit. We see this in Acts chapter 10, verse 40. But God raised him on the third day, and he made him to appear not to all people, but to us. We see in 1 Corinthians 15 that he shows up to 500 people at one time at some point. And so the, Jesus is alive. He rose again. He ascended to the Father. He gave us the Spirit of God. And the good news, lastly, is that he's redeeming and restoring all creation, including you and me. This is the activity that you and I, as part of the people of God, the community of Jesus, we are part of by the Spirit. We are to redeem and restore everything in that the rebellion brought about. We are now to be going about restoring that, the, the injustices of the world, the brokenness of the world. And one day, Jesus is going to come back and completely fix those things. That there's going to be no sickness, pain, or death. That is our blessed hope, Scripture says. And in the meantime, until He ultimately redeems and restores all creation, we are to be active agents of that reconciliation. We are to be working towards bringing about that justice that He desires because the kingdom of God, because we have a new king, is here and now. So, if you have not professed faith in that, my invitation for you is to believe in the gospel, to place your faith in Jesus, that he died for you, that the things that you're looking to, to fulfill what you're longing for, whatever's on the throne of your life, that does not satisfy you the way that you think it should. Only Jesus can do that. And you and I need to be saved from our sins, from our rebellion, from those things that are not perfectly true to humanity, but we live that out because by nature and choice, we rebel against God and we need him to redeem us, to rescue us from our sin so that we can live by the spirit, the life we've always lived or we've always desired to live. That is the gospel. That's what we're all about. But I want to address our church family for a minute. Because this is the foundation that we build everything off of. This is the ultimate for us. When we talk about gospel centrality, it's thinking about how we can think through and live our lives that funnels and built through this and builds off of that foundation with Jesus as the cornerstone, as the scripture says. However, my fear is that we can articulate the gospel. But my question for you is, are you captivated by the gospel? Are you in awe of what Jesus has done and the person that he is? My fear is, is that even in coming and saying, what is the gospel? And answering the question. We focus primarily on the articulation of it, but not on the captivation of it. Are you in awe 
of the gospel? Are you so moved by what Jesus has done for you that you will do everything you can to reorient your life around where he is and to help other people know about what he's done. My fear, brothers and sisters, is that we have a mental ascent of the gospel, but not an awe-inspired, captivating picture of the love of Jesus. In the coming weeks, you're going to be hearing more about our identity in Christ, how we live this out, our disciple-making environments, why we gather, why we do MCs and all that stuff. And all that's great. And that's, those things are super important. But I, you need to hear this. All of that is rubbish if we don't get this. All of it. All the strategies we have, all the emphases we do, all of it means nothing if we are dead in our love and our captivation of what Jesus has done for us. Because all of that, everything you will hear about in the coming weeks, is built on us being radically transformed and in awe of Jesus. Because if you don't have that, then everything that you're about to do, everything that you're going to hear will become a religiosity. It will become an ought to. It'll become a, oh, this is what Soma does. It's like, no, like throw that out for a second. It's all built upon and organized so that you can experience Jesus more, that you can be at the place where he is so that you can be drawn to your continued need for the gospel. And if we are just going about the motions, okay, I got to do missional community, I got to do DNA group, oh, we're supposed to gather, blah, blah. you've missed the entire point of everything that we're about. And I feel the need to repent if I've led you that way. This is about the gospel. This is about our love for Jesus. And if we don't have hearts that are so moved and so captivated and so wrecked by what Jesus has done for us, then everything, we else, everything else we do should just stop. And we just need to go back to this. Yes, I'm being more preachy than some of you like, but too bad. This is of utmost importance. We need to be radically struck by what Jesus has done for us. His love for us. His grace extended for us. And if we're not, brothers and sisters, we have lost our way. That's what the letter to one of the churches in Revelation, go back to your first love. This is a call to go back to our first love. And so the, the question is, how can we tell if we're captivated by it or if we're just trying to articulate it? A few different things that I think are pertinent to us. First thing, do you have more ought to's, quote unquote, than get to's? Do you have more ought to's than get to's? Do you, real, do you like, oh, I ought to gather with the rest of the saints? Oh, I ought to share my faith. I ought to do these things. And it's coming from a sense of obligation. Now, there are times when we don't want to do what we're supposed to do. That's the sinful nature still part of us. 
I get that. Sometimes you just have to do what you're supposed to do, even if you don't feel like it. But is that your primary way? Are you primarily living out, oh, I ought to do this? Or are you living out, I get to? Because if I believe, if we truly get the gospel, if we truly get back to the depth of what Jesus has done for us, so much more of our life will be get to. Oh my goodness, I get to talk about Jesus to other people. Oh, when we gather together as the saints, I get to see the image of God in my other brothers and sisters. I get to experience the presence of Jesus in fellow image bearers that have been redeemed by Jesus. I get to be part of mission. I get to reorient my life because I've been so radically changed by him. I'm going to do everything voluntarily to see others changed by him. So do you have more ought to than get to? That's a sign that you're more if you that you're more driven by strategy than by gospel. Second, <coughs> do you have more obedience or quote more love? Now I I know that we are called to obey. The great commission is to teach them to obey. I totally understand that. And I think that there's a dynamic in our culture where if we're so driven by obedience, we are missing the heart of what Jesus has done for us. Paul says that the aim or the goal of our instruction is love. Love. Do you obey God because you ought to or because you love God? Because you And do you love God because you recognize how much you are loved by God? We only love because he first loved us, the scriptures say. So are we trying to call people to love? Is that the aim of our instruction? Or is it only to walk in obedience? Do this, then do this, then do this. Because sometimes we don't want to do this, do this, do this. And a true disciple, as we mature, grows in love... And that love walks out in obedience. But you can obey without love. And what I want to call us to, brothers and sisters, is love. That's the aim of our instruction. That's why we do what we do, is to love God, the greatest um, commandment, love God and love people. So do we? are you doing things more obedience or are you doing it based on love? Third, are you afraid of repentance and confession? Are you afraid that when you hear the idea of repent, do you think that that is um, something that's to be feared? Are you not wanting to bring your areas of sin to your brothers and sisters in your DNA group and missional community? Are you afraid? That fear is a, a picture of that we're not fully captivated by the gospel. I've felt this, and I've continually needed to remind myself of this. And here's why. If we understood the radical grace that God offers us, if we understand what the depths of our sin was, but in that, Jesus still calls us and redeems us, and now we have a new father who doesn't see our sin. He sees us in the eyes of the son that we are in Christ. So therefore, the love that God has for Jesus, he now has fully for you and me. 
He is the Father that welcomes us, loves us, accepts us, gives us a new identity. That whatever we do, He still loves us and gives us grace and calls us to repentance. Even the correction that He gives us. And so, do we fear that if we come to God and say, God, I messed up here. That He's going to critique us? That He's going to um, punish us? That He's going to express His wrath on us? Brothers and sisters, that's not the nature of our Father. He loves us. He's extended grace to us. And He wants to welcome us into His loving arms. And if we as individuals can understand that God welcomes us in Christ, then that also radically transforms how we welcome one another in Christ. You can excuse me, confess a wretched sin. And we, as brothers and sisters, can clothe you in Christ and say, yes, but Jesus died for that. Welcome into the family. Be part of us. This doesn't expel you. This doesn't shame you. This welcomes you in. That confession brings you into the very heart of God and in his people. Repentance is a regular activity that continue aligns us where we go off of God's love and gets back into it. So if you're afraid of repentance and confession, it's a sign that we haven't fully understood the gospel and the, uh, the nature of God. A few more really quick. The next one, number four. Do you talk about other things more than you talk about Jesus? The scriptures say that out of the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks. You do not have to force people to talk about what they love. So I want you to do a little bit of an audit. What do you talk about the most? Do you talk about your hobbies? Do you talk about um, what our church is doing? We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Do you talk about um, your work, your the, the cause that you're most passionate about, political, whatever it may be? What do you talk about the most? Your words are a picture of what you love the most. Brothers and sisters, I want us to be a people that talks about Jesus. We love Jesus. We're captivated by him. We're in awe of him, as we've been talking about. And I don't want us to fabricate, like, okay, I, I ought to now talk more about Jesus. No, you're missing the point if you think that. We need to be so in awe of him. We need to go back to the gospel and what he's done so that we desire naturally out of the overflow to talk about what Jesus has done. That's an indicator that we're not captivated by the gospel. In line with this, um, do you love the church more than you love Jesus? For much of my early ministry, much of what we did was to get people to love the church. And I started to get convicted because... Um, because I started to see people be evangelists of the church. Oh, this is why our church is so amazing. Oh, my pastor walks like this and blah, blah, blah. Like, there's a, 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 we just talked about our love for the church, but the fruit of it was they talked about the church. And the desire was to get them to talk about Jesus, but it never ended up that way. Brothers and sisters, I want you to talk about Jesus more than I want you to talk about Soma. I love Soma. I love us as the body of Christ. I love what we're up to. I'm so committed to life on mission after COVID more than ever before. Co convinced of it. And yet, 
I want you to love Jesus and talk about Jesus and what he's done more than what we are doing. Do I want you to talk about what we're doing? Absolutely, yes. But I want to be a people that's known for our love for Jesus more than our love for what we do. Because if we talk about only what we do and not about Jesus, I promise you, we'll get to the point where we've, we've lost the first heart of our captivation of Jesus. And that leads us to the last one. Are you more focused on strategy than dependence? Strategy than dependence. As I've mentioned, the coming weeks, what we're going to be talking about is our identity in Christ, but also how we've organized ourselves as a family to live out the mission of Jesus. My fear and, some, and my confession is sometimes we've focused more on the strategy of doing it rather than helping you understand that we're putting you in a place where you need to be dependent upon Jesus. And so we can be dependent on strategy. It could be an evangelistic strategy. This is how you share your faith. This is how you listen to people's story. This is how you boldly proclaim the gospel to people that are far from Jesus. It may be this is why we do missional communities and we focus on that, the strategy of how we live it out. But we, And so we could say, hey, here's our playbook. Run this playbook. And we could do things in a way that we don't need Jesus. There's a quote that I heard recently. Like, if you took the Holy Spirit out of the early church, they would have nothing. But if you took the Holy Spirit out of many of our churches in the modern day, we could still work our playbook and do whatever we want. The whole thing of how we've organized and believe the scriptures have led us to be a church and strategize in this cultural moment is so that we can continually be dependent upon him. That we're not just saying, okay, I need to be, we're not strategizing, okay, I need to be family. This is how we do family and we're just going to do that. Or, okay, this is how we serve. This is how you can serve people. We're going to do that. Or this is mission, like, okay, this is barbecues, or this is how I've seen other people do it, so we're going to do that. Taking other, brothers and sisters, no. We need to be dependent upon him, asking him, Father, what do you want for us? Spirit, what are you empowering us to do? Where do we need to realign our lives to what you're up to? That's why we have things organic, so that we can be dependent upon what Jesus wants to do and is doing through our midst. Does that mean strategy is bad? No. Absolutely not. But if we, it's a picture of taking something that's good and making an ultimate. Strategy is good, but it needs to come out of a dependence. It needs to come out of, Spirit, what are you leading us to? Soma, we are the body. That's what Soma means. This is who we are. But we are built on the gospel. Have you lost your first love? Do any of these, do you, do you have more ought to than get to? Do you have more obedience than love? Are you fearful of repentance and confession? Do you talk about other things more than Jesus? Do you love the church more than you love Jesus? Are you more focused on strategy and dependence? These are all some, and these are some of the different ways you and I could have fallen off, missed the mark. We need to get back to the basics right now. This is about Jesus. Are you in awe of him? Do you regularly focus on the, the depth to which Jesus loves you, that he saves you, there's grace extended to you. That's where we need to be family. That's what we need to go to. That's 
gospeling one another, regularly reminding one another of this. And that's where we need to build everything off of in the days ahead. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you chose us. Thank you that you sent your son. Jesus, thank you that you, you are the promised rescuer and king, that you lovingly lived the life we should, that you died the death we deserve, and you victoriously rose again by the Spirit, and you are in your kingdom is continually redeeming and restoring all things to yourself, including us, including our lives. And so, Father, I pray for our family right now. Wreck us with the gospel. Spirit, I pray that you're moving deeply in our hearts in ways that you haven't done. Spirit, I pray that you're empowering, you're moving in us ways that we need desperately. We're dependent upon you. Help us build everything we do off that foundation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.